From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Today we're going to have legendary New York Yankee broadcaster Michael Kay, baseball Hall of Famer Eric Nadell, and also the D-Train, Dontrell Willis, World Series champion and two-time All-Star. But Michael Kay has come out with a new book with all of his great interviews, Center Stage, and here is Michael Kay. Michael, it is great to have you on the program once again to talk a little bit about not only the Oakland A's and the New York Yankees and about your new book, Center Stage. I can't wait to see it. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited about it. You know, we've the show's been on for 20 years, and we've done like 240 interviews. So what I did was I sat down and picked out the 35 best ones, the ones that would resonate with the most people, and told the backstories of the interview and then had the, had the transcript of the interview as well. And uh, so far, people are really enjoying it. So I hope people will go out and take a look. You know, I mean, what's, what's so interesting about your career is everybody thinks about you with the Yankees, and they forget how long you've been in talk radio. I've been in talk radio since the 90s. And, uh, I mean, your great career, yes, obviously, play-by-play for the Yankees, there's nothing bigger, but – You've been in talk radio for so long, and all the people you've talked to, it's so fascinating. Yeah, I've been really lucky. I mean, we've, uh, you know, I've done the radio show in New York now for, this is the 20th year, and the, the Center State show on TV, also 20 years, and I've uh, been the Yankee announcer now for 30. So, I mean, wow. I give you those numbers, and it makes me feel really old. Yeah, you know for the first time in my career i'm starting to get hey i grew up listening to you and i've been dealing with that now for a while but i just think about your career and it's so phenomenal and being around a franchise there's no franchise like the new york yankees in our country i mean it's just the reality it's amazing you know it's so funny like uh you know i grew up 10 minutes from yankee stadium And when I was nine years old and realized that I was terrible as a baseball player, I just told my parents I wanted to be the Yankee announcer. You know, that's just the musings of a nine-year-old. But, you know, here I am all these years later, and I was lucky enough to live the dream. And, and, you know, when you announce the Yankees, it's it's funny. I think, you know, the 30 years I've done the Yankees, uh, the, the only losing record they had was the first year in 1992. And they've been over 500 and, and pretty much a playoff team. And they just give you a lot of great moments to to sink your teeth into. And, you know, you just along for the ride. You know, I once told Derek Jeter, I love the fact that I piggybacked on all your great moments by being able to call them. But, you know, it's a nice connection to have. Yeah. And of course, my, my audience is like, oh, my God, I can't stand these guys. But, yeah, the reality <laughs> is Derek Jeter only played like a handful of games that never meant anything. I mean, when you look at his career and you look at your career, you put them together, every game that you're calling night after night, it always meant something. Talk about what that was like for you. Yeah, it was it was incredible because, like, before I got the gig, um, you know, they, they had come across some hard times, you know, the Stump Merrill years and when, the you know, their owner, George Steinbrenner, was suspended for a little bit, and, you know, it, it looked bleak there for a while. And then, you know, I, I got the job working with John Sterling, and they hired Buck Showalter. And Gene Michael and Buck Showalter started to turn it around. And I, I think you're right with the – I think the stat is that Derek Jeter 
in his 19-year career played one game that didn't mean something. One, which is just incredible. Like the Yankees were in play for some sort of playoff spot all but one game of his career. So, you know, when, you know, your, your, your career is like almost in lockstep with Jeter's, that means that you're announcing games that always mean something as well. But it also leads to a fan base that's a little spoiled. Like if you don't, if you don't win a World Series, the fan base really thinks it's been a failure. And, you know, just on my talk radio show, I mean, they bring up, we haven't won since 2009. Well, there are a lot of teams that would like to win <laughs> in 2009. But for Yankee fans, that's that's an eternity. And they get really ticked off. You know, uh, you know crazy thing about COVID-19, you know, the last time I was on a plane was I brought my kids back. We did the Washington, D.C. trip where we then went to Philly and then after that, we went to New York, and I took him to Hamilton and Wicked there on Broadway. That's the last time I've been on a plane. It was actually New York City going, going back from New York back here to San Francisco. Um, getting back to normal is going to be very interesting, and I can't wait to, to, to go to New York again. I mean, so what has it been like for you as someone who's traveled the world that, that you know, we've been so in, in this world that w- the, the norm has been – to be at home and to call games from home. What has that been like for you? Uh, it's been strange. Uh, uh, the last time I was on a plane is like March 11th. Um, I was down in spring training doing Yankee yeah. games and, you know, the world stopped and I got back on a plane. That's the last time I've been on a plane. And uh, ever since then, I've done my radio show from my house. Um, and what we've done is we've done all the Yankee games from the stadium. We've been able to do that. And, uh, but we haven't traveled. So yesterday the Yankees played the, um, Toronto Blue Jays and they were playing in Buffalo and David Cohn and I were sitting in an empty Yankee stadium calling the game off, you know, television screen. So I don't know if that's the new normal. I think that, you know, a lot of television executives have discovered a way to save a lot of money by not traveling people. And although it's noticeable to people in the business, when somebody's not in a venue, I don't know if the general public sees it or feels it that much. So I'm not sure when we'll get back on the road, but I'm just glad to be, you know, back in the ballpark and have fans back in the ballpark. And and ironically enough, you know, Oakland's coming to town on Friday and the Yankees are calling it reopening day because that's the first time that they'll allow 100% capacity at Yankee Stadium when the A's play the Yankees Friday night. Well, it's going to be a beautiful thing. I can't wait to see it. And, And I think about the responsibility to be the voice of the New York Yankees, what is that like? You know what? It, it, I know it's corny, but it, it's kind of a dream, and I never take it for granted because you know it's what I wanted to do since I was a little kid. And whenever I walk into that ballpark and, and just sit in that booth, I do take it in. I don't take it for granted. And it's a big responsibility because there's such a, a big fan base, and they're associated uh, with sustained excellence. So you want to do a good job. And you know, I do feel a lot of pressure when there are big moments. Like, you know, this year we had Corey Kluber with uh, with the no-hitter. And, the, you know, you know, throughout the years, the World Series and Jeter's 3,000 hit. You know, these are things that will, you know, be around as long as, you know, people are around. And I don't ever want to disappoint the person who's part of the big moment. You know, and, and, and I, I even told that to Jeter. I never wanted you to be embarrassed by a call. And so there, there is some pressure there, especially in the big moments. You don't want to botch them. And if you botch enough of them, you're not going to have the job. <laughs> well, well, you, you're talking about fascinating interviews. When you look back, I mean, your illustrious career, it's incredible. Um, 
What is the most fascinating interview you've ever done? Well, it, it's in the book. It, you know, it, Mike Tyson uh, was on the show, and um, it was weird. Like it, the, the show is an hour long. We have a studio audience, and he sat there on stage, and at times wept uncontrollably, um, laughed uh, out of out of his mind, got angry that at one point I thought he was going to hit me. I mean, it was just, it was raw. It was unbelievable. People that were there still talk about it. And then I found this out like a week and a half ago. So it's not even in the book, but the show ran on Yes, the Yes Network, and Spike Lee was watching it. And after the show was over, he picked up the phone and called up Mike Tyson and said, that's a Broadway show. That's a one-man show. Let's do it. Now I somehow got aced out of it and didn't see any money out of it, but it's kind of fun that it, you know, that show led to Mike Tyson's Broadway show, and he's also done a res a residency in in Vegas with it as well. And it started from him just like letting it all hang out for an hour on the show. That 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 that's incredible. And I, I know you only have so much time, but when I think of Derek Jeter, the fact that this is probably the most stand up guy our sport has ever seen. Every single game, he stood up to the New York media. Every single game, before, after. Just talk about what this guy was like covering his career. It was amazing that, you know, you know, with, with a lot of players in big moments, the, the game speeds up. He never got out of control. He never felt uh, overwhelmed. You know, he, he, like, welcomed the pressure. He was almost like... It was, if you were going to create a player that was going to excel in New York, it would be Derek Jeter. Never too high, never too low. And in terms of like dealing with the media, I don't know if it was just by accident, but he was brilliant with it. And he never really told us anything. And I once made this comment to Ian O'Connor, and he wrote the Derek Jeter biography, and he put it in the book. You, you could knock on Derek's door, right? Derek will answer the door, and he'll talk to you through the screen door for two hours. He's never inviting you in. So Derek always gave you just enough, but you didn't ever leave the table really full. And it, I, there's a genius to it. And it's something that, that A-Rod really never mastered. You know, when A-Rod spoke too much, he said too much and he got himself into trouble. Cheater never got himself into trouble. He always said the right thing. And I think it's an incredible skill to have, especially in New York. Did Jay-Z ever get himself in trouble with you? Jay-Z never did. Jay-Z was an amazing guest. And, you know, sitting down and talking with him, you realize why he's as, you know, famous and rich as he is. He incredible drive, pulled himself out of poverty in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, the audience was filled with people that love him. And he was an impressive dude, I'll tell you that. Well, I can tell you all the respect in the world. You've had a wonderful career, whether we're talking television or radio. Congratulations on this book. We will promote it. And uh, be well, my friend. You take care. Thank you. And by the way, you're a great dad. Taking your kids to Hamilton and Wicked? Wow. Well, hey, how about this? Uh, after our game today against the Angels, we're going to Disneyland for the first time. You are dad of the year. Hey, Michael, really, thank you so much for, for coming on the program, and good luck with this book. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it.
from one great broadcaster to another, Eric Nadell, baseball Hall of Famer, has been doing radio for the Rangers for a long, long time. It's always an honor to have him on A's Cast Live. Eric, how are you? Chris Towns with the Oakland A's. Great, Chris. How are you doing? We're doing great. We just said uh, we're bringing on the Hall of Famer. Uh, does that ever get old when people call you a Hall of Famer? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's still hard to believe when I hear it, to tell you the truth. No, it's uh, it's always an honor to have you on. How have you been? How's the season going? Season's not going so great for the Rangers. You know, it's a rebuilding year, but uh, for a while it looked like they might be able to contend. They were 18 and 18. Uh, since then, though, the roof has totally fallen in, and they've uh, gone 7 and 28 over the last 35 games. So it's really been a tale of two seasons so far, the first 36 games and then the next 35. Yeah, that sounds rough. You know, one positive, though, that I've noticed and looking at your guys' beautiful new stadium and just so unlucky with COVID-19 hitting the year you're opening up the new stadium. But I got to just think for Ranger fans to finally have, you know, because the old stadium was great, but it was just so hot. Uh, What's it been like for the fans to finally get into their brand new their brand new digs? Well, they're into it, you know, and even though the Rangers are hopelessly buried in last place, they keep coming out, you know, over the weekend, they had crowds of over 30,000 for each of three games against the twins who aren't exactly a big draw. Um, the average attendance for the year. Um, and of course we've been on a hundred percent capacity since the start is up around 28,000 per game, which is the highest in the major leagues. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. Cause uh, I can't wait to come see that new ballpark. Cause after watching the postseason and the world series, it looks absolutely beautiful. What do you think it's going to be like uh, for Elvis to come back to Texas? Cause he grew up in this organization, played in so many big games, so many playoff wins. Uh, he was a great Texas Ranger. What do you think it'll be like for Elvis to come back? It's going to be great. Um, I think he'll get a huge ovation. Uh, he was one of the most popular players uh, in the history of the franchise. You know, he's in the top three all time in games played and hits and in runs. He's number one in stolen bases, you know, and he always played with a smile on his face, which is what endeared people to him from the time he came up. You know, he jumped from double A ball in 2009, bumped Michael Young off shortstop uh, and, you know, won the hearts of the Ranger fans almost immediately. So uh, there is no bad feeling at all about Elvis. And I think Ranger fans are really happy that he's come on in the last month, that he's playing well for you guys. And he's, you know, he's on a front running team. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, the A's, it's a real loose clubhouse. These guys really care about each other, play for each other, love each other. And from, you know, we haven't been able to go down there and we've had Elvis on the program a couple times, but, you know, people who are in tier one, who are able to be around the team have said, he's just come right in, fit right in and everybody loves him. And I'm sure you're not shocked by that. No, not surprised at all. And in fact, he's about to do a media availability uh, outside the A's dugout. And uh, there's a huge crowd of media waiting for Elvis to come out right now. Uh, and, you know, everybody, everybody enjoyed being with Elvis. And when things were going bad, he would be a guy who would always be willing to come out and talk. You know, he wouldn't go hide in the trainer's room. You know, he learned from a, a couple of really good veteran players in Michael Young and Adrian Beltre and, you know, became a clubhouse leader himself. And when Beltre retired, 
it kind of fell on Elvis. Uh, I'm not sure if he was really ready to pick up the mantle there, but it's nice to see him in a clubhouse like that of the A's, you know, which is a veteran team and an older team where he doesn't have to be the guy. So I, I'm looking at some of your players. I think about Joey Gallo, last 13 games. He's got three home runs, scored nine runs, you know, hitting 275 with a monster OPS. The guy you got going today is having a good year in Kyle Gibson. What do you think the Rangers will be like at the trading deadline? That's a really good question. Uh, they've got to think about the future. And the guy pitching tonight is probably going to be their toughest decision. I mean, Kyle Gibson has been incredible. Uh, he's second in the league in ERA, uh, only to Carlos Rodon. Uh, after a first-inning meltdown on opening day, you know, where he didn't make it through the first inning, uh, the guy's been incredible. His earned run average has been well under two uh, since that opening day start. And he's controllable for next year also. So the Rangers are going to get some huge offers for Gibson. And, you know, he's the club leader in a lot of different ways. He's the team's player rep. Uh, and, you know, he's the only starting pitcher who every time out there gives them a chance to win. But, you know, does it matter? I don't know. You know, you have to see what you get offered. Uh, same thing with Gallo. Unfortunately for the Rangers, Gallo hasn't really gotten hot. He has shown signs of it in the last couple of weeks, those stats you just gave. And if he continues to play well between now and the trading deadline, it's conceivable the Rangers will get the kind of offers that, you know, allow them to make a Joey Gallo deal that makes sense. He's also controllable for next year. So, you know, there'll be offers in the offseason too, but I think it's really important to the Rangers that they get full value for Joey and they're not going to get that unless he gets hot. Well, baseball, as we know, it is changing today. And we already saw Jacob deGrom, one of the premier, if not the best pitchers in the game after the first inning, he was checked for foreign substances. Guys are going to get checked all the time. They don't know exactly when they're going to get checked. And if they discover you got something, you're going to get fined. You're going to get suspended. Uh, what do you think it's going to be like from a broadcasting standpoint when you're watching these guys get checked all the time? Uh, hopefully it won't be a big, you know, a big distraction. It's going to take place in between innings, you know, with very few exceptions, I think. So we'll be in our commercial break when it happens. So I really don't think it's going to be something particularly noticeable unless somebody actually gets thrown out of the game. How much of an effect it's going to have on offense you know, that remains to be seen, and that's that's going to be really interesting, you know, to see which pitchers are affected, you know, wh whether we can actually notice it or not, uh, and to hear the hitters react, whether, you know, whether they'll be able to notice it. I imagine they probably will. And just the, the oddity of a major sport changing rules in, I mean, almost the, I mean, I guess you say middle of the season. I and mean, this is something that, you never, you don't see this in the NFL. You don't see it in the NBA, hockey. It's just, it's odd that you're making a rule change in the middle of the year. It really is. And I think, you know, in talking to Chris Woodward, the Ranger manager about it today, he said, look, everybody was warned and everybody ignored it. And they've kind of forced Major League Baseball to, to do it this way, you know, to force guys to go cold turkey in the middle of the season. It's not like they weren't warned. And... You know, he's very much in favor of, of the way it's being done, you know, including the outlawing of the, you know, sunscreen rosin combination. Uh, you know, maybe if players had backed off, 
on the use of spider tack and pine tar and whatever other goop they're putting on the ball, this would not have been necessary. And who knows, maybe in the off season, Major League Baseball will work with the players to come up with some sort of acceptable solution where, you know, the combination of sunscreen and, and rosin is actually allowable. I think what happens between now and the end of the season will probably dictate what occurs in that regard. But, the, you know, I think this is clearly a reaction, maybe an overreaction by Major League Baseball to the fact that the pitchers totally ignored them when they were warned. Every team was warned in spring training. It's like the principal came in and said, all right, kids, we know you're cheating and we know you're skipping class. So I'm going to we're going to allow you to keep doing this for a couple more weeks. But uh, in a couple weeks, we're now going to we're going to crack down on you. So you kids better stop. Yeah, that's why we can't have nice things, right? <laughs> you're going to you're going to break something. And in this case, what you're breaking is offenses all over around baseball. Uh, it is just, uh, it, it, it's unbelievable, but we'll see. We'll see. By the way, how's, how, how's the book still doing for you? Uh, the book kind of died with the pandemic, unfortunately. You know, we had a lot of things planned for last year moving into the new stadium. You know, we're going to have a lot of book signings and, and all that. And, of course, we weren't able to do any of that. And now, you know, it's, it's two years old. You know, it's a book of limericks basically about a season that's ancient history now. So, uh, you know, as much as I love seeing every now and then somebody buys it on Amazon, uh, we're not really wasting a whole lot of time actively promoting it. Uh, I've actually focused my attention to Johnny Doskow's book of haiku, which I think is fabulous, and everybody should pick that up. It's called Goodnight M, and uh, it's, it's definitely worth reading if you're in any way into baseball poetry. Yeah, he is a uh, he's a fun guy. Well, Eric, it's always a pleasure. And for you to give us your time before you got to broadcast uh, tonight's game, it means a lot to us. Take care and be well. And hopefully at some point we'll see you soon. Great. And, and great to finally see the A's after 71 games to finally see the best team in our division. Yeah, hey, you, you know what? I, I, I forgot we were even in the West. At one point, I thought we were in the American <laughs> League East. We didn't play. I mean, we it took forever to find finally play the Angels. And it's hard to believe we're in June and we haven't played you guys yet. I know it's not. So there's 90 games left and 19 of them are between the Rangers and the A's. Now, nah, it would be good. Hey, take care and have a good call tonight. Thanks, Chris. The Hall of Famer, Eric Nadell, right here on A's Cast Live. And we're going to end with a World Series champion, a two-time All-Star, and you now see him not only on Fox on the national broadcast, but you also see him on A's pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports California. Here is the D-Train, Dontrell Willis. Dontrell, Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. How are you? Good, sir. How are you? Uh, We're just talking about it. We're two days into it, and already... We got some pitchers and some managers, <laughs> and uh, guys are getting checked. No one's been hey, I even noticed Dontro last night in, in our YouTube game. There was okay. one, there was one Ranger reliever that the umpire barely checked him, and I'm like, "This is day two. What's it going to be like in a month?" You know, very exhausting. It's almost like a parent watching a six-year-old. After a while, you just let them play with the toys all over the living room. And it's going to be a royal mess, but you welcome it. And so, and, and already in 36 hours of this, you know, it's already been used as a tactic. You saw what happened to Max Scherzer. You know, I love my guy Romo, so you know how he's going to come out and be able to address that, you know, almost dressing naked just to get guys off his back. And, you know, the umpires, they don't want to be TSA agents. You know, they already have... 
a, a tough time trying to call the game correctly. So, but uh, you know, checking scalps, uh, checking belts, it it's really turned into a mess. And you know, the one aspect I talked to Dallas Braden about is, you know, you're going to see managers try to use this as a tactic to try to get in the head of the starting pitcher or the reliever, especially if they're rolling. And, and you've already seen that already in day two. Yeah, how bad of a look is that for our game? If a guy goes out there and he's just, let's say Dontrell Willis back in the day is out there just dominating a team, and now because you're dominating, the other manager is saying, hey, go check him a couple innings in a row. I mean, what are you going to do? Well, you know, you just try to handle it with class, but at the same time, you know, I mean, if I get angry enough, somebody might get some bacon cut off their back. And what I mean by that is somebody might get smoked, <laughs> you know, just to try to send a message, you know, if, especially if you understand the tactic from the opposing manager, especially if he doesn't like you or like we talked about earlier, trying to get into your head. But I don't think it's so much going to bother the pace of play. I just think the antics after a while doing this on a daily basis, I think you're going to see more and more guys uh, express their anger and just be frustrated because being checked, I mean, like a Delta TSA agent every other inning or during the inning, it's going to get redundant after a while. And I was thinking like Romo yesterday, and this is what it's going to be like going forward. If you're a reliever and you go out and you do not have a bad, and you have a bad outing, even a starter too, right? you're already going to be, you're agitated. You just gave up, <laughs> right. You just gave up a three-run home run, or whatever you've just done has been negative, and now you come off the mound and they're going to check you. I, I, this this could be. You could see a lot of guys not being thrilled with this after they give up some runs. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, you've already seen the benches cleared. You saw Joe Girardi challenging Max Scherzer to a fight, <laughs> which is something you don't see every day. But, you know, you, you just have to go into it with a mindset that you're going to be checked, you're going to be messed with. And then if you're not cheating, you have nothing to worry about. But I will say this, you know, half my friends are hitters. And the argument I make is, you know, when guys are cheating and putting a stick in, you guys are still hitting 30, 40 home runs a year anyway. So, you know, and I'm not validating that I'm just explaining you know if you talk to a lot of hitters uh they'd rather have a guy that knows where the ball's going and has you know confidence command to be able to come across the plate and so the thing I'm watching is guys getting agitated and then more hit by batters because you know guys are going to lose the command of the baseball especially in these some of these drier areas and what have you you know tonight James Caprellian on the mound for the athletics just how impressed have you been the way he's come up, own the moment, and he's right. no question a member of this starting five. You, you know, his his mound presence is what sticks out to me. You know, every time he deals with adversity, you know, we've seen him throw a ball away and help uh, runners advance. He's like, that's okay. You know, I'll just go out there and just command the strike zone and continue to get, you know, execute pitch by pitch. Obviously, his stuff is plus, you know, fastball anywhere from 94 to 97 miles an hour. My slider, though, from him is the favorite pitch I love to see out of him because guys just don't pick up on the spin. But, you know, his mound presence is everything, and, and I don't see him going to, back to Las Vegas anytime soon, especially the spots he's been. He's already pitched big in Boston, pitched big in New York. So this is a guy that's going to be a mainstay for a long time. Yeah, my joke with him is the next time he goes to Vegas, it's going to be on vacation. <laughs> 
<laughs> Bellagio, right? Yeah, you got to live your life. Yeah, it's going to be a pool party the next time. <laughs> he's going to be golfing and he's going to be hanging out at the pool. You know, you are like this too. And when, when you, when you, when a guy has a lot of uh, a backwards K's, it means guys right. aren't seeing him. And you had a lot of those. Just talk about that. When you have your good stuff, guys aren't seeing it and they're not swinging at strike three. You know, the one thing about it is deception, uh, uh, conviction on the mound, throwing through the target, uh, all of those things factor. And you see Caprillion because he, he, you know, he hides the ball well. It's kind of a funky arm action, which I know a lot about, <laughs> you, you know. So you kind of, you know, the hitter doesn't able to pick up the ball. And when it gets in the hitting zone, the last 10 feet, the ball stays true through the zone, which also gets got hitters to chase the slider because they don't see the spin off the baseball and they chase out of the zone. So, you know, he's going to get a lot of swings and misses with that. I think he has great fastball command, especially to the outer side of the right-handed batter. And, you know, you're going to continue to see that. I just, I just worry for him to stay out of hitter-friendly counts, you know, and if he's able to do that, he should have a good outing. Well, talk about Matt Olson. I mean, this guy, he's got a 21-game on base streak, hitting 405 during that time, seven home runs, 22 RBIs. He's got a 10-game hitting streak. We're seeing him go the other way. We're seeing him beat the shift. And when you have this kind of power and hit over 300, talk about as a pitcher when you face a guy like this, how tough he is when he when he's hitting it all over the yard. Well, you know, you cross yourself and pray that he, he went out all night and he's a little groggy because <laughs> if he's locked in, he's definitely going to be able to square up the baseball. And, you know, you, like you talked about, the growth of him understanding, one, how the pitchers are going to attack him, especially up and in because he's a big guy, a long-arm guy. They're going to try to tie him up and also soft away. So when he sees situational hitting, if there's runners on and the shift is on, he'll take that base hit to left and be able to get an RBI and also keep the line moving. So I think he's done a great job this year of just knowing when to attack pitches and try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. I mean, he's got one of the sweetest swings in all of baseball, and it's truly unfair, and I have to do a better job on the national scale to pump him up because he's one of the best uh, first baseman in all of baseball all around, you know, offensively, defensively sure-handed glove. Everything he does is a big reason why the A's are in the place they are right now. Now, I know you you like to hit back in the day, but today, <laughs> but today was history as Shohei Otani was the designated hitter and the pitcher, and it made history by the National League team actually using a DH, and the Angels didn't. The Giants used Alex Dickerson. I mean, to have a guy hit and pitch legitly – in the same game, how amazing is that? Wow, man, I watched a little bit of the game before I came to NBC, and it brought a tear to my eye. You know, I, I'm so I'm so proud, and, and it's so cool to be around and actually witness history. You know, uh, Justin Upton's a really good friend of mine, and he said, train, he's got more power than anybody I've ever seen. And I was like, no way. So I got a chance to see him firsthand in that cage. And the ball just absolutely jumps off his bat. Honestly, there's nothing that this guy can't do on the baseball field. I mean, he can run. He can throw. I mean, he can throw from the outfield. You can put him at first base. It doesn't matter. And he has power to all fields. I mean, the, the guy takes a swing like he's trying to hit a base hit, and the ball goes out of center field. I mean, it's truly, truly a marvel to see. And on the mound, he's still got ace stuff. You know, one of the nastiest breaking balls in all of baseball, and he can reach back and throw 100 miles an hour. I mean, this is 
this is a guy that you need to buy a ticket and see, even if you're not a fan of the Angels. And they say he's as fast as Mike Trout. Hey, listen, he gets he gets up the line in four strides. I'm like, look, CeCe Sabathia and me talked about him a lot, and he's truly the best baseball player on earth right now, hands down. I, it, it's just it, – it, and, and I still can't believe scouts went over there and they went, oh, yeah, he's a great pitcher, but his bat won't play at the big league level. I, you know, it's tough because, you know, it's hard to be successful at the big league level at one, you know, one position, whether you're a pitcher or a position player, we all know that. So, you know, we put our insecurities off on him and he's proven us wrong every single day. And to be honest with you, with the loss of Mike Trout for a significant time, he's the mainstay in that lineup. And obviously Justin Upton's been picking it up in that lineup as well, but he's been the main threat. And when you're the main threat every single time and you still factor that proves that you're one of the best players in the game. Do you think this will open more eyes and allow more guys who potentially could do this get an opportunity at least to try? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, people ask me all the time when I started to struggle pitching, you know, why didn't I take the Rick Ankill route? And I always give the same answer. I said, would you want to see me in the outfield behind you? And I get the same response. It's like, no, I don't want to see that, you know, but, uh, I always had an appreciation for guys being able to play every single day. I mean, my God, Otani played yesterday in the field, and he's on the mound today. And so the the, the, the season's really long. It's really grueling. Uh, guys break down. You're already seeing a ton of injuries in baseball. I, I just, you know, guys are making too much money now, $30, $40 million a year. It's too big of an investment to risk. And uh, every time he's on the mound, I actually watch him with one eye open, hoping he doesn't get hurt because that's just a lot of wear and tear on his body. So I don't, I don't see that really going to be happening down the line. You know, when you look at uh, there has been a lot of injuries, do you buy that it's because we only had 60 games last year or is this just something that's more normal than we think? Uh, I, it might be a combination of both, but you know, the, the athlete himself or herself, you know, they do a ton of training that is different than back 20 years ago. You know, they come in the spring training ready, but when you're breaking your body down in December, October to try to get yourself ready for spring, that's still miles on the tire, if you know what I mean. So, you know, you're seeing guys that are stronger and they're throwing harder, but at the same time, when you're throwing that slider at max effort at 92 miles an hour uh, and you're swinging, you know, for the fence every time, you're more prone to have wrist injuries. You're more prone to have elbow injuries and back injuries as well. So you're seeing a lot more of that because guys are this max effort but rightfully so because, you know, the money and the contracts are so large in sports now, you kind of have to train that way to get yourself ready to get ahead of the curve. Hey, great stuff. We always love having you on the program. Have a great broadcast tonight. All right, thanks. Thanks for having me. This was a real good one. Michael Kay, Eric Nadell, and Dontrell Willis. And we always appreciate having them on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.